I had decided back in March, uh, in March, the beginning of March, I happened to have been in, uh, in Brazil leading a retreat, which turned out to be the last one I was able to lead in person so far. Uh, and during that retreat was when it became apparent that the COVID-19 pandemic uh, had taken root in America. So I came back from that retreat and uh, haven't been able to travel since like all the rest of us. But I decided when I was in Brazil, when I was, because I'd been on a silent retreat, so I didn't know that much about what was happening. But as I came off retreat and started reading uh, about everything, I, um, I decided that I would try to do free calls periodically just because it would be good for all of us uh, during this time of increased isolation to be able to come together. And, and the calls that I've done <clears throat> have proven to be so valuable uh, that each one makes me want to do the next one. Uh, so uh, this is the next one. Uh, and themes seem to arise for me. But I want to say right at the beginning of this call, first of all, that I appreciate all of you being here uh, because a huge part of what makes a gathering like this as powerful as it is, is the fact that there are so many wonderful people gathered together. So all of your energy coming together, even in this virtual format, has a profound effect uh, on all of us. So your presence and your energy, your intention, your goodwill is all a huge part of what makes a call like this valuable. Uh, second of all, I want to say that I have a lot to share with you today. But in spite of the fact that I have a lot to share with you, I'm not under any illusions that I'm going to teach you anything you didn't already know. Uh, I believe most, if not all of you, will already know everything that I want to share. I may have language that's different than language you've heard or used, and that might be valuable to you. Uh, but the, the underlying essence of what I'm saying, I think, is well known to everybody here. I really see this as a space of healing more than a teaching. Uh, and there will be teaching because I will be sharing and we will be doing some practice and some thought experiments. And, and these things are really helpful in the process of healing because they keep the mind occupied while the actual work takes place. I often feel like when I'm teaching, uh, the teachings, one of the main functions of the teaching is simply to keep the analytic mind and the logical mind occupied so that the deeper work that happens in invisible realms can take place. So I will be offering some teachings and some things that can occupy the analytic mind. And some of that will be useful to you in, inevitably, but it's not the point. The point is just the being here for the next, uh, well, we'll have about two hours together. And during that time, the space itself will be working on all of us. 
That's the point. That's why I wanted to have these calls so that we could be in the shared space of each other's company uh, and allow the good intention and the heart and the beauty of who each of you is to permeate that space and nourish each other. So that's the context I wanted to set for this as a, as a healing event more than it is a teaching event. And so if you take a moment and just allow yourself to become aware of the 168, now 169, probably soon to be 170 people that uh, have come together, you will feel that being in this shared space creates uh, a, a psychic atmosphere that is buoyant. Buoyant in the way that, that water is buoyant and allows things to float. Our collective field of goodwill is buoyancy for the soul, provides buoyancy for the soul. It allows the, it allows the soul and the spirit to float. And we need that now because these are heavy times, challenging times in many different ways. And the difficulty with challenging times is they're the opposite of buoyancy for the soul. They tend to be, uh, they, they add weight to the soul, they have drag. Uh, and so it's more important for us to come together in order to uplift each other's spirits when times are difficult. I've been blessed to have, uh, to be connected with so many amazing people, so many wonderful, beautiful people, and to be able to hold a gathering like this, which is why I feel compelled to do them periodically. Uh, because I have the capacity to do it. And it feels like it was a gift given to me by spirit and one that was given to me so that I could use it and give it away to everyone else. Now, I assume most of you know me, know some about me, but I wanted to spend just a couple of minutes giving you one version of my story. Uh, for some of you, this may be things you already knew, for others of you, it'll be completely new. For some, maybe it's a different version of, of me. When I was 29 years old, after having been an engineer, I, I studied physics as an undergraduate and then I became an engineer and worked in the telecommunications industry for about five years. And then I left that and went back to school and became a school teacher and eventually I uh, became the educational director of a nonprofit uh, school, residential school for adjudicated teens. And it was during that time when I was 29 years old uh, that I met a spiritual teacher and a community, a practice community and left 
the life that I was living, left my career and I left my relationship at the time uh, and more or less everybody I knew to move into a spiritual community where I could do spiritual practice because all I wanted was to be as close to the divine as possible and to master, to learn how to master spiritual practice in ways that would allow me to connect with something that was true beyond the world, true beyond the world that was presented to me. Uh, I wanted to know what was really true underneath it all. And that's where I lived for the next 20 years in, in community, doing practice to my heart's content, uh, primarily focused on nothing but the pursuit of divinity, of contact with divinity. And after about 10 years of being in community, halfway through my tenure, uh, I was on a long retreat. And in the midst, middle of that retreat, I had a few experiences that I would say dramatically changed everything about me. Uh, it, was, it was two months and it came after years of, of intensive preparation for that retreat and eight months of specific preparation for that exact retreat. Uh, and of the many experiences I had, the one I want to share with you today is that I was sitting in meditation. And at that time, I was meditating eyes open, looking at the floor. And while I was sitting there, I, I noticed that my vision, my, my line of sight was, was elevating. It was moving upward in the room. And I started to realize that I was expanding that my, my being, not my physical body, but my, my energetic body was expanding. And I expanded through the roof of the meditation hall and out into the outside and above. So I could see the hall below me and I could see the park and the trees and the town. And eventually I expanded so far out that I could just see the globe of the earth. And then so far out that I lost track of the earth because it just became one in the field of stars. And I got so big that I sort of became the universe. And when I reached that place where I was the infinite cosmos itself, I had the most intense experience of being home, finally being back to where I had started. Uh, and there was this just flood of love and joy and relief at being back to who I was, to the truth of who I was. And after vibrating in that intensity of joy, bliss, love, energy for I don't know how long, I started to shrink again. And then the earth came into view and then the town came into view and then I went back through the roof of the meditation hall and back into my body where I was just sitting. But during that trip to the cosmic edges of my being, I realized that I had, that I had, that I had done that 
that I used to do that when I was a small child, three or four years old. And I used to do it regularly by staring into my own eyes in the bathroom mirror in my parents' house. I would look intensely into my own eyes and then I would, have, I would experience that same expansion to the outer edges of the cosmos and back. And I would do it periodically, I guess whenever life felt heavy. Uh, and I distinctly remembered that day on retreat, the day that I couldn't do it anymore. The day that I looked into my own eyes and I just couldn't remember how I used to do it. And I remember how sad it was and how awful it was to think that I had lost that connection. And evidently, sometime after that, I completely forgot that I had ever done it because I didn't remember again until the experience returned on that retreat. So somehow after having had that experience as a small child, I just uh, assimilated into the world, I guess. I just accepted my fate as a, a small, insignificant, individual, separate entity. And evidently it was too painful to remember the, the higher truth of who I was, so I just let it go. Until, as I said, many years later, I was on retreat and rediscovered. And suddenly my whole life made sense in a way it never had. It made sense to me why I had studied physics in the first place. I never wanted to be an engineer. I just wanted to understand how the universe worked. And I was studying physics and astronomy. Uh, but then you graduate and what do you do? You know, it's like the world keeps giving you more opportunities for assimilation. So you graduate from college and then you become an engineer because that's what everybody else is doing. Uh, and then when I realized that wasn't it, I moved on to the next thing. And, and then the one thing I could never understand, which was why in the world I had left my career and my wife at the time and the life that I was living to join a spiritual community. It had never made sense to me through all those 10 years, like what would have given me the desire for that. And suddenly, and now I knew exactly why, because somewhere in my unconscious, there was something I had to rediscover and nothing else about life was ever going to be satisfying until that had been reconnected with. And it was after that that I started teaching. So that was about 20 years ago. And I started teaching first inside the community I was living in and then about 15 years ago publicly. And then eventually that community fell apart as these kinds of communities often do. Unfortunately, it's a whole other story for another day. Uh, and so for the past eight years, I've been teaching meditation and spiritual awakening and paradigm shifting. And today's, the two hours we're spending here today, I called staying true to your calling in a chaotic world. And the reason why I wanted to do this call is because I know that we all are feeling the challenge and the pressure of these times. So, I mean, we can just go through, you know, we could just start at the beginning of 2020. You know, this, 
this year started, um, I happened to again be on retreat uh, in Sri Lanka. And one of the people that was with me was from Australia. So I was very aware that Australia was having horrible wildfires, uh, secondary uh, to, to, the, to the crisis of global warming that we're in. And in fact, my, my, the friend who was on retreat with me, her father's house burned down to the ground. So I was acutely aware of the hardship of those fires. And then of course, a few months later, as I said, I was on retreat again and the COVID-19 pandemic really got clear. I mean, it had been clear already that it was happening, but it got clear just how big it was. And then there was two months of really complete, largely complete lockdown and, and the whole challenge that was being faced in places like New York, and then in the midst of that, of course, the eruption of social unrest in America that eventually swept through the world and the challenge of that. And I live in the middle of the city, so I'm in downtown Philadelphia. So, you know, all summer it was uh, protests in the daytime, uh, enormous amounts of looting at night, helicopters all day and all night long uh, flying overhead. So. Well, you couldn't have a better metaphor for the challenges of the world than, than what was happening. And then of course, the political unrest, the political polarization that we are so acutely feeling in this country, but also exists in various versions in various places around the world. So what I'm aware of and why I wanted to have this particular topic is because the pressure of all of those things, besides the fact that it weighs us down and it's important for us to be together in order to create the buoyancy that allows us to continue to soar in the midst of everything. The other challenge is we can be tempted to get distracted from what brought us here in the first place. Now, I said at the beginning of the call, uh, I was only going to remind you of things you already knew. And in essence, like me on retreat, this is just an opportunity to have a reunion with your own self. Because it can be tempting in these times to think you should be doing something else other than what you did to get here, to get to this place. And for some of us, and I wanna be clear, some of us in challenging times will find that our inner calling is aligned with some new calling that's calling that's, that's wanting to be expressed right now. So if you are feeling yourself, as I have at different times, called to action in these challenging times, please do not hesitate. Uh, if that call feels authentic, if it feels like you're really being called to action to alleviate some of the you know, unending suffering in every direction in the world. But also, uh, I want us to keep in mind that what brought you to the spiritual path in the first place was the fact that somewhere you saw that everything we're experiencing in the world right now 
that we all know isn't likely to get better soon. You know, aspects of it will get better, but new things are coming. You know, we, I still believe that, that climate change and global warming is the biggest threat that we face. And we're not even really thinking much about that one yet, uh, but it's certainly coming. <laughs> I mean, it's already here and it, it's likely to get worse. But we already knew this. That's why I'm saying I'm not teaching you. I'm not telling you something you didn't already know. You've known it for a long time. Many of us have known it for decades. And what we knew is that all of the various problems we're seeing now, even before we knew about them, we knew that the underlying reality, the underlying paradigm that we live in which is based in an assumption of separation and rooted in, a, in an existential experience of fear would eventually lead to things like this and will continue to lead to things like this for as long as that is the foundation of the paradigm that we live in. As long as our underlying experience of reality is one that's based in an assumption of separation and generates an existential experience of fear, then division and separation and polarization and uh, you know, not, not only separation with each other and with other people, but also separation from this planet. You know, if we live in, in a state of separation from the planet, eventually that's gonna cause problems in some form or another. And we're seeing a lot of those problems. If we live in, inside of an experience of being separate from one another, that will eventually cause problems. The whole idea of a paradigm shift was very brilliantly elucidated by Thomas Kuhn. Uh, a professor at Princeton University in 1954, I think. But he said there are three ways in his study of the history of paradigm shifts. He said there are three ways that paradigms essentially present themselves to be changed. There's three ways that paradigms shift. And one is through an inner recognition of a new possibility that's essentially like a mystical revelation that some person or some group of persons refuses to, to let go of in spite of all evidence to the contrary. So of course, a good example of this in the domain of physics, which I studied at one time is Einstein's theory of relativity, which everybody thought was crazy and nobody understood. Thomas Kuhn, someone's asking, K-U-H-N. Um, but of course it turned out to be accurate or so some, and, and I would say we've all had that kind of mystical revelation. We've all had uh, a revelation of a different possibility that life could be different and we've stuck to it. You know, maybe some of us for only years, 
some of us for decades, but we have stuck to it. And generally speaking, the world isn't giving you a lot of support for sticking to that. Uh, in fact, it's, it's trying to give you as much evidence as possible that it would be much better for you in, in all kinds of ways if you just let go. Often those mystical revelations are based in the fact that we experience things that just should not be possible. And I'm sure we've all experienced that. So one example was my journey to the outer edges of the cosmos from, from the current paradigm, from inside the current understanding of what it means to be human, that just shouldn't be possible. And if anyone who is very, very adhered to the current paradigm, if I tell them that I've had that experience, they will never believe that I journeyed to the outer edges of the cosmos, which I actually happen to know is true because I was there, but they will never believe it. They will always tell me that there was some kind of a chemical thing happening in my brain that just generated an illusory experience of journeying to the edge, outer edges of the cosmos, which, you know, of course I can't prove them wrong. It just doesn't match how it felt at the time. Uh, and they would say, well, of course it, that's because you were under the you're under the spell of some kind of chemical imbalance caused by too much meditation or something. But you know, we can all believe what we wanna believe. That's just not how it occurs to me. And I'm sticking with it. Like Einstein and relativity, I'm sticking to my cosmic consciousness experience. Uh, the third way that paradigms shift, which is very interesting for us today, is that we experience persistent problems that despite all of our efforts, we, we, we find ourselves, we find it impossible to change, right? So we're seeing that climate change is not a new problem. You know, it's the ecological problems have been worked on and talked about for decades. And we see, it seems, seems that we are not finding it, we're not even finding it possible to get agreement on them, but we're not, we don't seem to be making much headway. The same thing with the kind of social injustice and challenges that we see in the world. Uh, what we are experiencing now has certainly echoes back to the 1960s and, and there's echoes beyond that and echoes beyond that. So these are persistent problems that we just don't seem to be able to change. Kuhn would say that's because those are evidence that because those those challenges are not mistakes right we tend to look at them as mistakes we tend to look at them as they shouldn't be happening i actually believe that's not a useful way to look at it if you if you look at something like climate change or social injustice as a mistake that shouldn't be happening even though of course I can see the justification for looking at it that way. But another way to look at it is, oh, these things are inevitable given the paradigm that we live in. And no matter how hard we try to fix the mistakes, even if we're able to fix it in one form over here, it's gonna pop up somewhere else because in the paradigm of separation and fear, these kinds of things emerge. It's inherent from the start. And that's why I wanted to do a, a, a workshop like this 
where the main message is, please don't give up on what brought you here in the first place. Don't give up. There's a reason why you got involved in all of these alternative pursuits, whatever it might be. You know, we all took a different turn. Some might have been overtly spiritual. Others might have might have been uh, social activists or artists or who knows what. You know, we, but we all took some alternative route that got us here, and that alternative route was driven by an understanding that things could be much better, that there was much more possible. It was. I remember when I was a little kid, and I had forgotten about my cosmic consciousness experience, but I remember being seven, eight years old and thinking, I'm sure life could be a lot better than this. I mean, I didn't know anything from anything at that age, but somehow intuitively I thought, you know, we should be able to do better. <laughs> this, the, you know, we, we, at the time I was kind of comparing the experiences I, at that time I would have in church and what I was hearing from supposedly the the wise elders of of the church and i was looking at what i was seeing in the world even in my own family even in the people around me and i just thought wow i think we could do a lot this and i just couldn't accept that this was it that we couldn't do better than this and i i know that's true for every single person on this call in your own version in your own form all i really want to do today is give you the opportunity to just remember who you are, to remember how you got here, why you're so committed to a new possibility, and to be able to get the visual evidence of seeing this many people together who are connected in the same way. Because if we don't get the visual evidence of seeing that we're not alone, we start to feel alone. And then we can be tempted to think this is hopeless, uh, but it's not. I also wanna give you permission, even in the midst of all of the challenges of the world, to recommit yourself. In fact, beyond permission, I almost wanna, I wanna definitely encourage you and inspire you to recommit yourself to the original ideal that brought you here. Because whatever you were intuiting that brought you onto this path in the first place is, is just as important now as it ever was. And nothing else that you could be doing is more important. It might be as important and you might feel called to do it, but it's, it doesn't mean that your original inspiration is, it doesn't invalidate why you got here. So that's my, my opening. And then I wanted to just shift gears for a minute because as I said earlier, my spiritual life was spent largely in uh, a practice community. And it's the foundation of everything that I teach. Anyway, that's a whole other story. Like the fact that I teach things is so bizarre to me. Uh, when I say things like, that's the foundation of everything that I teach, there's something inside me that always chuckles and goes, 
how did this happen? <laughs> you know, but anyway, it did. So I'm, I'm going with it. Uh, but it is the foundation of everything that I teach is meditation, but it's not necessarily meditation in the same way that it's often taught. It's, it's a meditation based in a Hindu teaching of Advaita Vedanta and which is very similar to the Tibetan teaching of Dzogchen and very similar to the Zen tradition. It's simply a letting go. And I believe that those of us who are aspiring to contribute to a new possibility in some form or another, it doesn't have to be this form of meditation, it could be some other avenue, but in some form or another, it's essential that we have easy access to letting go. You know, the interesting thing about meditation is we don't really have time for it anymore. Uh, one of the things that I believe, we don't, we don't have time to spend years learning how to meditate. We just actually have to do it and just make it easy. You know, it's that kind of, it's like, it's what I always want people to do anyway and always have. But now I feel like the times are supporting that. We just, just want to let go. So when, we, when, when I teach meditation, I just teach people to sit, relax, and be okay with anything that happens. You just let go. That's all you do. It doesn't take any time. There's no technique. I sometimes talk about it as the practice of no problem. I sometimes talk about it as the art of conscious contentment. But it's always the same thing. You just sit and let go. You can't miss. Because even if you find yourself getting all wrapped up in things, you just let that go. So there's, there's only one thing to do, which is be. And the reason why that is such a miraculous practice is because we are very identified with our mind, which means we're very conditioned to experience ourselves as something that we can see. And as we learn to let go, and we just allow the mind to do whatever the mind's going to do, and we don't identify with any of it, we just relax, sooner or later, it becomes completely obvious that none of that is us. That we were always the awareness that was aware of everything and we were never a thing that you could be aware of. And I believe that this kind of practice is, the, is kind of a secret doorway. Someone once described it as a secret trap door out of the current paradigm because the, the foundational sense of separation upon which the whole paradigm of separation gets built is the separation which we experience when we identify ourselves as a something that can be seen, right? So then there's a separation between the seeing 
and the thing that we think we are. Suddenly at some very deep level, we are separate from ourselves. But in this kind of meditation, eventually you realize you were never any of the things that you could see. You were never your history. You were never your body. You were never a concept, a self-concept. You were always the awareness that was aware. And you fall into yourself. You have an intense experience of falling into who you actually are as pure awareness. And that recognition starts a kind of cascade of recognition. Because suddenly you realize that not only are you the awareness that is aware, but so is everybody else. That's when you really realize why, through the Hindu tradition at least, they're always saying namaste. You know, the part, the part that sees, the, the part in me that sees you honors the part in you that sees me. It's because it's the same part. You see, our, the, the paradigm of separation sees me over here looking at you and you over there looking at me as if somehow we're separate. But the fact is that the awareness that is aware is seeing through these eyes at the exact same time that it's seeing through all those eyes. And so there's only one of us. And that kind of realization, when one has it deeply, it just short circuits the whole paradigm. It's, it's literally like a short circuit. Suddenly, it just, it just buzzes out of existence because it can't be maintained anymore. And it throws into question everything about how we experience reality. So that's why I continue to teach meditation. I teach all kinds of paradigm shifting philosophies and ideas and I support people to share their wisdom. But the, the foundation underneath it all is this very simple practice of meditation, which of course I can teach it in, in terms of you understanding the theory in about 15 seconds, you know. But it takes much longer to practice it enough so that you're actually able to break through the habit of identifying with something that you see. Because that habit is very strong and it's not just your habit, it's a cultural habit, it's a human habit. So you kind of have to break it for everyone in yourself because you're gonna get zero support pretty close to zero support, except, you know, maybe in a little context like this, which, you know, nearly 200 people feels like a lot of people until you realize how small that is compared to everybody else in the world. 
So what I want to do now is ask you to just relax so that we can practice together. So you just want to find a very easy, comfortable place to sit. where you can be still. For the next few minutes. And just allow yourself to be completely content with whatever is. It's likely that your mind is not behaving, and that's fine. Your mind might be racing, thinking about all kinds of things, that's fine. Maybe you're troubled or bothered by something. That's also fine. Nothing needs to change. Nothing needs to happen before you decide to be okay. Meditation is just a decision to be okay with what is. No matter what it is. You're okay with whatever's happening and you're okay with whatever is going to happen unconditionally. And you allow that contentment to become the place where you're resting. You let your body rest and you rest. Doesn't matter if your mind refuses to play along, you can be comfortable with that.
no matter what arises in consciousness, you simply relax. Allowing everything to be exactly what it is. Even if what arises is a sense that you are engaged or struggling or frustrated, just be perfectly content with that. Nothing that could possibly happen is disqualified from being okay. It's all perfectly fine as it is. No matter how busy or agitated your mind might be, all of that agitation is floating in an ocean of contentment, an ocean of ease. All of the frustration that might happen in your mind is like a ruckus party on the deck of a ship. If you're on the deck, it feels loud and annoying. But if you back up into the sky, you'll see that the ship is just a tiny dot in an ocean of tranquility. And all you have to do to float away is not be bothered by whatever is happening on the deck. If you allow yourself to be perfectly content, no matter what's happening, you will very naturally start to expand and float away. And until that happens, you're just content. Content being on the deck, 
amidst whatever is happening. Just allow yourself to relax more deeply. Allow yourself to be completely and unconditionally content. Return to this place every day. For at least a little time. So you keep reminding yourself that it's here. Just relax. Allow yourself to open and embrace whatever is happening. You are bigger than anything that could possibly be happening. You are the space within which it all happens. Allow yourself to be the space.
Okay, thank you very much. Please just gradually allow yourself to reconnect with the space of our call. I have a little bit more about that practice of meditation that I want to share with you. And then I have one other thought experiment that I would like us to do together. And I wanted to recap because someone asked the three things that Thomas Kuhn spoke about as the how paradigm shift, which I think I kind of mashed into two, but the first was that someone has some kind of mystical revelation of a possibility that they will not let go of. The second is that we experience something that just should not be possible. And the third is that there are persistent problems that seem impossible to solve. Those are the three indicators. Uh, and the three reasons why paradigm shift. So as I said, I have a little bit more to say about meditation and then another thought experiment that I intend to take questions, if there are any, or have conversations. I also wanted to say that uh, among the things that I do is a a membership-based program in which I teach regularly and in which people come together regularly in different formats and in which the members themselves teach. So it's essentially a way of extending this kind of engagement so that it becomes ongoing. And I started it about uh, two and a half years ago because I felt like this is what we need uh, more than of course, going on retreats and taking courses and doing programs are valuable, but more than that, we need a way to connect uh, and to stay connected ongoingly. And because of my background, I, I was aware of how to create virtual community and it felt very important that we have that flexibility so we don't have to travel all the time. Of course, as it turned out, with COVID-19 happening, it became even more important. Uh, so for those of you who are members, thank you. There are about 400. Uh, for those of you who are not, I hope you will try it. And I wanted to make that as easy as possible. So uh, we're offering right now two months of membership for a dollar. And the reason we offer it for a dollar is because it's the least we can collect and still get you in the system because we have to collect something because of the way it's set up. And I'm doing it now because I'm teaching a course that's six weeks long that starts, I think, in uh, two weeks. So that time period would cover that entire course as well as one day retreat. So you gives you as much opportunity to experience what it's like as possible. So we'll be sure to send you an email about that. I just wanted to mention it uh, before I continue. And that whole 
online community to me has just felt like such a blessing. You know, it, it felt like a blessing before these times and it really started to feel like a blessing during these times. Uh, there's, there are things happening all the time. Uh, there's an incredibly powerful growing amount of audio resources available. Uh, my engineering skills came in handy. Uh, I've, I haven't seen uh, a membership-based program as well designed, but I haven't seen them all, so I'm sure there are others, but it's, uh, I spent a lot of time uh, designing and working with my web person to build something that was incredibly functional and offered as many means of engagement as possible. Because what I believe is the most important thing is that we can engage with each other. Uh, of course, I feel like I have something to share. That's why I do these calls and I talk so much, probably more than I should. Uh, but I also feel like we, as I said earlier, it's the us being together that's the most important thing. It's us seeing each other, having the visual proof that others exist, but even more importantly, being able to speak together and in the context of membership, making it as easy as possible for any of you who have wisdom to share, which basically is all of you, to set up your own courses uh, and share that wisdom with others so that we can learn from each other. The idea is that it's a co-evolving, co-inspirational, co-learning environment uh, that uh, allows us to just engage together and grow together. Uh, and everyone's voice is important. Everyone's voice has access to the means of communicating. So it's a, it's a beautiful space that I'm very happy about and very proud of. And I'll make sure I send you more information about that. But before I get to questions, uh, or to speaking to some of you, and I hope I get to, be, I mean, I will get to, but I hope you'll speak to me. <laughs> I know there'll be time. I just, I'm hoping that some people will speak to me because that's a joy for me too. Uh, I wanted to say one more thing about the meditation because, and this is really important. For the meditation to be as truly transformative as it can be, it actually has to be done from outside of the current paradigm to begin with. You can do the meditation inside the current paradigm. And when you do that, you're doing it as me, the separate person, Jeff, doing a practice called meditation, right? And you can get really good at that. You can, you can practice as Jeff and learn how to slow your mind down or count your breath or do whatever it is that you do, visualize and you can get intensely concentrated and focused, and you can have profound revelatory experiences, and you can even transform dramatically. And that can all happen without ever losing the identity of being Jeff. It's possible for the whole thing to be contained as something that Jeff has attained. And if your meditation practice remains in that domain, then unfortunately, I believe, it essentially remains in the domain of what the 
Tibetan Buddhist master Trungpa Rinpoche called spiritual materialism. Essentially, it remains in the domain of something that I have. And as long as your spiritual revelations and recognitions and insights, as valuable as they may be, and as profoundly as they may affect who you are and how you are in the world, they still remain essentially limited by that position of being a possession that the original person has. The person who started meditating in the first place, who did all the practice, who had all the experiences, who then transformed, all of that becomes a very subtle form of possession, something that I have. And so where I believe the practice of meditation needs to go is to the place where you're, there's no more identity of being someone meditating. Where you go so far into the practice that the only thing left is awareness. There's no sense of Jeff being aware or Jeff discovering awareness. There's just awareness. And the awareness that is aware is also aware of Jeff, the idea of Jeff, but no such entity exists anymore because awareness is all there is, which of course is what the traditions tell us. You know, the traditions will always say that awareness is all that is. That's what, that's what they mean in, in traditions that use the term God and they say God is all there is and we are all children of God. You know, they didn't mean God was some big male entity in the sky that was giving birth to people on earth. It meant that God or divinity is the, is the source of consciousness, is the awareness. And we are the children of that source by virtue of the fact that the awareness that we experience is that awareness. We are all children of that. We are all children of the inherent conscious, the inherent cosmic consciousness of the whole. There isn't, we don't have our own consciousness. We're not generating it inside. And so eventually the meditation wants to move beyond being your meditation or Jeff's meditation so that it just becomes the cosmic meditation. It's just the experience of consciousness, the experience of the awareness prior to even the sense of being an individual, even the sense of being Jeff. And when you rest in that depth of awareness, things can start to get very trippy. Because for instance, you find that you are resting in that awareness through all states of consciousness, waking, sleeping, and dreaming. It's just you, you, whatever you are, not you, Jeff, you, the awareness that experiences itself through Jeff's waking state all day, and then is aware of the process of falling asleep. It watches the mind and body fall asleep. 
and then it's aware of being nowhere in the depths of sleep and then it's aware of dreams arising and then passing away and then it's aware of the body awakening in the morning and then it's aware of the next day so there's what in the tibetan tradition they call uh, called constant consciousness you're resting in the awareness that's always there you're no longer feeling like you're passing through periods of waking periods of deep sleep and periods of dreaming it's what in the hindu tradition they call turiya the fourth state the one that's always behind the others now my experience is that that, that is only attained in the con- i've only experienced that in the context of profound uh intensive retreat i don't seem to have access to that depth of consciousness if i'm busy in the world but it doesn't matter because that's it doesn't matter this is the beautiful thing about spiritual revelation it actually doesn't matter if i'm experiencing that deeper awareness because i'm that anyway it doesn't actually matter whether i'm experiencing it in this moment or some other moment all that matters is that that's actually the truth of who i am and knowing that beyond doubt i remember once having a huge shift in my awareness because this is kind of like it's kind of like a silly insight but it was such a big deal to me at the time i realized something that should be obvious but evidently wasn't obvious to me until i realized it which is that god exists whatever god is god exists whether or not i experience her and i thought oh how amazing i don't have to worry everything's fine god already is and i was somehow feeling like i needed to realize god in order for god to exist god needs me zero you know my little bit of recognition is not really important to god it's important to me it's important so that i can discover who i am god's doing fine the awareness is the awareness anyway it doesn't need me to recognize it to become the awareness So that's the the journey of meditation starts as a practice that we the individual does but it becomes most powerful when it is just it's just the awareness being aware it's no longer a person doing something you forget yourself and when you forget yourself you fall naturally into the awareness that's aware So there was one other thing that I wanted to address today because I really do believe that the that climate change and the destruction that we're doing to the planet as bad as 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 so many other things are I mean I just think that's the tip of the iceberg uh compared to what we're doing to the world we live on the one that we absolutely cannot replace And the reason 
and of course, the exploration of our separation with the world leads right back to our separation with ourselves. But we have been conditioned to believe that we are things on the world, that we, we are things encased in bodies that roam around on a world that we are in some fundamental way separate from. And I would, what I like to point out to people is that it's obviously untrue. There's no way in which we are separate from this planet. And the way that I like to point that out is by saying, let's imagine that you wanted to leave the planet. You know, we don't really have a viable alternative, but let's say you did. You were an astronaut and you wanted to leave. You actually can't leave the planet unless you take some of the planet with you, right? You have to make a little miniature version of the planet. So if you're only gonna go for a short time, you know, you have to take at least enough air and you have to take, it has to be pressurized uh, enough and you have to take enough food and water, of course. And then, you know, you can go on a trip around the, around the earth a few times and then land again. But if you wanted to start a colony on the moon, you'd have to take a lot more of the planet with you, right? Then you'd have to take soil and then you'd have to take, uh, you'd have to take plants and seeds and probably if you're gonna stay a long time, animals and blah, blah. You know, you'd basically have to recreate the planet wherever you went. So why do we have to do that? Because we're not separate from it. We aren't a thing roaming around on a planet, right? We are, much more like a bubble. You know, if you think of an air bubble in water, if you have a glass of, of carbonated water and there's air bubbles in there, you can't in any way say that the air bubbles, the air bubbles can't exist separate from the water. You can't reach your hand in and pull an air bubble out, right? Because it, it's defined by the water. In the same way, we, we're like bubbles floating around on the surface of the planet. That's why you have to pressurize your spaceship. Because if, we didn't, if it wasn't pressurized, we'd just kind of go, we'd just float, we'd just sort of expand off, you know, because we're, we're being held by this atmosphere that we're in. It's, it's holding our bodies together. We're like a bubble. You can't pick us out and just put us in space. It wouldn't work. You can't live that way. You can't even hold together that way. But we don't have that sensibility. That's the thing about paradigms. We have the sensibility that we are a solid thing because that's how we're taught. That's how we're trained to think. That's how we're trained to think about ourselves. And so therefore that's how our nervous system gets conditioned. If we were trained to think of ourselves uh, as a, more like a bubble floating around in the atmosphere of the earth, we'd be much more uh, naturally concerned about the state of the atmosphere, right? Because the way that we're trained now, we're a thing that uses the atmosphere, right? So we, we want the air and we suck it in. But if we realize that we are one with that, we are a bubble floating around in that atmosphere, we'd have a much different emotional connection to it. 
And this is, this is what needs to change. It's not just, this is why it doesn't matter that we understand these things. It doesn't, it, in, and education in the intellectual sense alone will never be enough because our sensibilities need to shift. I mean, that's why this, this, is re, this isn't just an intellectual transformation, although that's important, but it has to be a deeper emotional, spiritual transformation. Our, our nervous systems need to become rewired to a new sensibility so that we feel ourselves as one with this earth. So if not, then we feel separate from the earth. Our fundamental feeling of being is that we're separate from the earth. And then we try to remember to recycle. You know, we try to remember to take care of the earth, which is just horribly inefficient. Eventually we need to feel so much a part of this earth that, you know, I don't have to remember not to stab my arm with a pen, right? Because I know that's bad. I know that's bad. I have a, I have a sensibility that won't allow me to do that. And that kind of sensibility needs to emerge around the planet we live on so that we wouldn't have to remember not to hurt it. It would become a, just a completely natural way of being. It would become unnatural to do things that were damaging to it. Many of us feel that, and I know that, that it's even more prevalent among young people who are growing up in a new age, new age than I am, to have a, a more of a feeling sense of oneness with the earth. And it's not just recognizing that the earth is a living thing, and of course we care about living things, that's also good. But beyond that, there's the recognition that we are that. And so now I want to just bring this home to our final little thought experiment. If you haven't already, I, I always look at you all on gallery view in Zoom so that I can see at least 25 people at once. And then I occasionally click through so I can see more. Uh, but for this little segment, you might wanna to switch to uh, speaker view so that you can see me a little more clearly. Because I'm gonna ask you to do something. It's in the top right-hand corner of your box. So building on this idea that we are one with the planet, I like to say, uh, of course, as I said earlier, I, I speak a lot. So you've been watching me speak and now you're watching me speak. So you see my lips moving and the words are coming out. And no matter what I say, the lips are moving and the words are coming out and you keep seeing that. Now imagine that it wasn't me, Jeff, that was speaking. It was just my mouth that was speaking. You know, I like, and I like to say, oh, I have a smart mouth. You know, it just keeps speaking and I never know what it's gonna say. The lips keep moving and words keep coming out and it keeps talking. So just look at my mouth and see if you can imagine that you had been conditioned to assume that the mouth was somehow intelligent and was 
speaking its own ideas and that Jeff was just some kind of holder for the mouth, you know, that he, he wasn't the originator of the thoughts or the ideas. It wasn't Jeff that was speaking. He was just like the holder of the mouth and the mouth was the intelligent being. Uh, and then of course you all have one too. So if we looked at any of you, you'd have a smart mouth and it would be talking. And, and now that seems ludicrous. Nobody thinks that it's the mouth that's doing the speaking. Nobody thinks that the mouth is intelligent as an intelligent separate from Jeff. We all know that the mouth is just an aspect of who Jeff is. It's just a, it's just a feature of Jeff. So it's ludicrous to think that the mouth is talking. But it's very interesting that it's, it, it's perfectly analogous to thinking that Jeff, like the fact that we think that Jeff is speaking somehow independent of the planet that Jeff is a part of, that feels perfectly okay to us, right? It's perfectly okay for everyone to assume that Jeff is speaking to you now, when in fact, of course, Jeff isn't speaking. Jeff has no capacity to speak. Jeff doesn't even have the capacity to exist without the planet. The planet is speaking to you. It's just speaking through Jeff's mouth. So as you look at this mouth, just be aware that this is the planet speaking to you. This is not Jeff. Jeff is the feature of the planet. Jeff is not a separate entity. And beyond that, the planet itself can't exist outside of the universe. The planet arises in the universe just in the same way that Jeff arises on the planet. So ultimately, this speaking can only be coming from the universe. Without the universe, this speaking cannot happen. Now, it's coming through in a unique way because of the vehicle that's carrying it. But that doesn't mean it's coming from the vehicle. And this is just another way of visualizing or imagining the truth of the term namaste. You know, maybe there's a different term that would be the that which speaks through my mouth honors that which speaks through your mouth, which is one. You know, the, the universal consciousness coming through my mouth is honoring the universal consciousness coming through your mouth. And I believe it's part of our, potentially, it's part of our possibility and hopefully part of our destiny that eventually we will rewire our inner circuitry so that that's what we experience in each other that we hear the universe speaking. You know, um, the Hindu saint Rama, uh, Ramakrishna uh, used to, you know, he said that no matter who was speaking to him, he always heard the mother speaking. And I believe this is what he meant. No matter who was speaking, it was always the mother. It was always the cosmos. When I was a child and I returned home, to the experience of being the cosmos itself. It, it was a, it was 
from that place, it's obvious that we are all coming, that we are all speaking from the cosmos, from the universe. And the more that we are able to relax into the truth of that for ourselves, the more our inner sensibilities will be transformed. Our inner neurological structures will be rewired. Sometimes when I sit in meditation, especially on retreat, uh, and I get incredibly, incredibly relaxed. You know, the first periods, you're sitting, there's agitation because you're just getting on retreat from the world and da, 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 da. so you just, you know, have to go through the, the most boring part of meditation, which is uh, I'm just gonna be consciously content with all this. Da, 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 da. But then I relax and relax and relax. And eventually you start to sink into something deeper. Then you hit places where, ah, there's hardly anything happening, hardly any turbulence of mind, there's just peace. And then I find if it's a long enough retreat, I will eventually start feeling intense pain of various types, especially around my face and head. And it just feels, uh, I used to, at one time I thought, it felt like my bone structure was re, I thought I was gonna look different at the end of the retreat when I looked in a mirror, because it felt like my bones were moving around. Um, it would be so intense. And I don't really know what it is. I mean, I think, you know, probably the, the, the most conservative interpretation would be that it's some kind of stress that's releasing. And that seems pretty plausible. But the interpretation I like the most is that it's the experience, it's the, it's, the it's the feeling of neurological rewiring. It's the feeling of some very fundamental and deep shifts that are occurring because you're sitting you're consciously holding a state of relaxation, which stands in con contrast to the habit of fear and control that we have been conditioned in. And because you're sitting there long enough, the, the, the grooves of fear and control start to be rewired into, into more acceptance and relaxation. But who knows? That's just my experience. Could be all kinds of things. The main point though is that the transformation is not just a, a, a mental, it's not just an idea. It's, just, it's not just a new way of, of understanding it, it wants to become a new sensibility altogether. It needs to become a new sensibility. And so I will finish with that, only reiterating that I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. 
I'm just reminding you of how you got on this path in the first place. And hopefully with whatever minuscule amount of authority I have garnered over years, I wanna give you permission to wholeheartedly pursue what you're already wholeheartedly pursuing anyway. I just, to whatever extent this world might be trying to convince you that it's hopeless, or might be trying to coerce your energy to other to somebody else's ends. I want to give you permission to follow what's been in your heart from the beginning. Follow your own wisdom and your own guidance. Trust what got you here and give yourself to it even more wholeheartedly.